Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos and I'm the CEO and founder at Chenext, and I'm here together with Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenext. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Slightly low energy. I, I just got back from a five-day uh, stag do in uh, Croatia, so apologies to the viewers, but yeah, I've got rings under my eyes from a fairly uh, intensive holiday. So good bachelor party, yeah. Yeah, it was good. The The bachelor was uh, humiliated and drunk for the entire time, so he's had a great time. Well, those are stories maybe for a different podcast. Uh, let's uh, let's dive into today's topic. Uh, I was thinking because, of course, we are actually in the fourth episode already of our five-part series on how to bridge the partner recruit to revenue gap. Or in other words, how do you get your partner from net new recruited to first revenue as soon as possible? And today we're at episode four where we're going to discuss co-marketing. And why, why do you think that co-marketing is so important within that first ramp up towards uh, first revenue? Yeah, we've obviously discussed the the importance that revenue drives engagement and engagement drives revenue. Um, and frankly, um, if you get partners who are generating lots of revenue, they're going to continue to be focused on you as a brand. And the best way to generate lots of revenue is generate lots of opportunities. Marketing is a, a very uh, fairly light touch and very scalable motion to generate lots of opportunities. And most brands do a pretty poor job of marketing effectively through their partners. So for me, it can be a real competitive edge if you get that right, because switch selling almost never happens. Typically when people and when end users ask for a particular brand, that brand is sold most of the time. So you want to trigger that buying motion as much as possible. And co-marketing is the best way to do that. Yeah, I think we've been talking about it quite a lot, right? That you can either have channel push where you activate your channel to talk about your brand or your product to the end user. Or you can have end user pool where actually the end user is triggered by marketing cascaded through your partners where they come for your brand towards the partner and they ask for your brand proactively. And I think you've said it time and time again, if an end user comes in for a certain brand, it hardly ever happens, right? That they still switch to a different vendor. Yeah, I think I read a statistic um, a, a while ago, which is something like 85% of the time a, a brand is mentioned, then that brand will be sold. And the thing I've seen is end user uh, pull drives channel push because it makes sense. If you're a sales per- person that works on a particular technology stack and most of your deals, a, a particular brand, when someone comes in agnostically and just asks for a technology type, you're more likely to position the brand that you always sell. And so that's why I always come to the approach, revenue drives engagement, engagement drives revenue. It's a very circular motion. And that's why you want to make sure that you're co-marketing really effectively. Yeah, I think partners always follow the market, right? Where they need, like, they see where which brand is hot at that moment, and that's also where they are very heavily invested in. So if you can help them with their co- with their marketing and actually show them that your brand is hot to the end user, that can definitely bring have a big impact in terms of keeping your partners engaged and driving revenue forward. Hey, I'm the laziest salesperson out there, and if people are asking me for a particular brand, that's the one I'm always going to sell. And as long as you come with that mindset and put the tools in place that the partner is going to be e- easily able to facilitate business, co-marketing is the best way to do that. And and if you would think about that co-marketing, and especially in that onboarding or that ramping phase, right, where your partner has just been recruited and you help them towards generating their first revenue, where would you start in such an onboarding phase? 
Uh, so I'd start with a joint marketing plan. What you want to be doing within that plan is outlining the steps to co-market as effectively as possible. As part of that, there's going to be an onboarding phase where you're taking the key stakeholders through the content and the channels to market effectively. But then there's also a, a rollout plan where you actually take that to market as effectively as possible while tracking the metrics and the data and reporting that back to the brand and really ensuring that you're maximizing engagement internally, but also maximizing effectiveness out to the market. Yeah, I like that. And I think this is also really the phase where you start with go within that co-marketing activities with the joint value proposition there. And I think that's such a crucial piece that we oftentimes give too little attention when we start doing co-marketing with a channel partner as such, because that's actually where the success is. Like my background is really in marketing and it doesn't matter how good your marketing is if your product is shit then eventually it won't like leverage or won't take off the way you want it to be. And I think therefore that joint value proposition is so important because there you can actually really dive into together with your partner and especially make it really about them because it also is a crucial piece for the next step, right? Which we're going to talk about next episode, which is co-selling. And I think within that marketing plan, actually the place to start is the joint value proposition. And I can't emphasize enough to our listeners as well how important that is because it's crucial, it doesn't matter what you take to market. Like I've been in marketing now for 10 years, but as long as your joint value or your value proposition is not good or your product, then it's really hard to make the marketing around it or the selling around it successful. So I think that's really the strategic part where you start in your co-marketing phase as well. Like what actually is our joint value proposition? How do we create that better together story? And it's a key pillar as well for the next phase, which we're going to talk about next episode, which is co-selling. Because the better that joint value proposition is, the more successful your marketing and sales activities will be. Yeah, the other bit I love as well is it drives partner engagement, right? Because you're not just marketing generalized vendor content down and and it's very agnostic and lots of partners are marketing the exact same content. There's an opportunity for partners to embed the reason you should buy the product or the solution from them. You know, whether that's maintenance, delivery, uh, architecture, design, whatever the USPs and the value proposition that the partner can also provide, potentially even doing a multi-vendor marketing solution that level of specialization is going to drive one better conversion to the end user because you're pitching a solution rather than a product, but two, it's going to drive the engagement. And also from a co-selling motion, as you're touching on, that's usually the very high margin element for the partner because partner service is typically 100% margin, which is really going to get them bought in because suddenly you're very profitable as a vendor for the partner to sell. And if you would be thinking about such a joint value proposition, where would you start? So you you just signed up this new exciting partner and now it's like time for the next phase. How do you make sure you create the best joint value proposition possible? Yeah, so I, as part of the onboarding phase, my expectation is that you've sat down with the partner, some of the senior sales leaders potentially, and asked them, you know, sat down with them, who are you going to sell this into? What value are you going to provide? And you're going to put that into a list. You then provide that list into marketing and go, how do we tie this up into a, a very neat marketing bow that's really marketable and it's going to be highly effective and put that into a real proposition that you understand what the vendor's providing, but also what the partner's providing. Pull that in together, drive it as a very cohesive solution and you've got something that's very, very marketable. Yeah, I like that. I think my, my top tip is always for people that I'm talking to about this subject, really look into where your partner generates most of its business. So within that joint value proposition, like discover like where do you, for example, with which service do you generate the most revenue or with which specific vendor already or where do you have the most margin and 
where do you make your profit? Because if your joint value proposition is very closely aligned to that piece, you will see very different approach within their organization, actually, because everyone is getting very excited because they see big opportunity to sell more and more of your joint value proposition because it immediately drives their most significant revenue or profit driver forward. Yeah, we, we see a lot um, uh, in sales, the attachment play within the channel, right? The, the example I always use is if you're selling into the Microsoft ecosystem, you're going to target Microsoft partners and blend your brand in with the much stronger brand of Microsoft. You're able to do that from a, a marketing plan and a joint value proposition as well. Work out where the partner is maximizing that value and put your attachment sales process in line with your attachment marketing process because it's going to make it easier for the salespeople to drive that cohesive sell and easier for the end user to imagine buying the wider solution. Yeah, and then I think what's also very important, like once you get to indeed that core of that joint value proposition, and like you said, where you know exactly who are we going to sell this into, what is your sweet spot as my channel partner in terms of what type of end users you usually sell to. Also really try to when you're, for example, usually what we see is when you start creating a marketing plan, you give them use cases that they can share with their end users, etc. You give them like all kinds of cases that can actually drive the deals forward or that can actually get like the first introductions. And I think that's also a crucial piece. Don't just give every partner the same type of use case, but really look into, okay, now we've got a very clear definition of what your joint value proposition is. Our joint value proposition is... We know now to which type of end users we're going to service that. And now I'm going to give you the assets within that that actually suit the goal that or the objective that we are actually wanting to achieve together. And I think that that's a, an important one as well. Like once you get the joint value proposition to tie that into it. For sure. Don't don't use healthcare case studies when you're selling into finance, right? It's some of those basics. But when you're when you're targeting a large channel approach or a large partner approach, sometimes people will choose efficiency over effectiveness and use the same case study for everyone. But the data is absolutely clear. The tighter you can get that segmentation and the more specific you get, the better impact that you're going to drive through those partners. Yeah. And, and then once the joint value proposition is out there, then what, what would you say is the next step within that marketing plan? Sure. So there are two bits in the marketing plan. There's the internal marketing and the external marketing. Now we'll come on later in the podcast around how to be really effective with that external marketing. But a step that's missed very often is you want to collate all of that information, put it into a nice document that people are going to easily understand and share it internally. Because obviously the idea you're going to generate a lot of inbound demand. Phones are going to start ringing and salespeople are going to start selling. And they need to be very well versed in the marketing approach so that when people ask, oh, I saw Microsoft Teams integration or whatever the thing is that you're marketing into, they exactly know what other people have seen so they can dive right on those opportunities effectively. Yeah, so, so maybe you could say that that internal marketing is almost as important as external marketing because once you do the external marketing and you get traction, if the internal marketing is not in place, then the follow-up will not be good and the conversion will not be good. So the revenue output will like take longer or not happen at all. Yeah, nothing's going to fill a, an end user with less confidence than, oh, I saw your piece of marketing. I go, oh, I, I have not seen that one. It's like, oh, okay, well, then you're, you guys aren't connected properly, right? And you really want people to understand the exact landing page or advert or anything that someone's seen so that they're able to ask the right questions to drive the sales cycle forward. And what would you say is crucial within that internal marketing piece that you're sharing, for example, with the sales or the technical people? Like what do they really need to know? 
Well, that's the first bit, make it relevant, right? So technical information to technical people, sales information to salespeople, and keep it at the highlights, right? What are the, what's the exact pain point that you're talking about within each piece of content and make it very digestible. So don't just send them 50 adverts that you're going to run over a six month period. Send them the highlight reels so that they're able to very easily talk through the campaign even if they've not seen that particular one, they know the generalized topics that you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's a great point indeed, where you really see those those type of users as well, and also the, the, the partners. Like, the more relevant you make it, the better it is and the better the adoption is. And I think that's actually a nice link to our second topic, where it's once we got the marketing plan in place, how are we now going to execute and how are we going to market? And what we always call like marketing enablement, what are some of the things to keep in mind? Like if you really want to enable your partners in the best way on then now I would call it like the marketing enablement ex- for the external execution as well. Like where, where to start with that? For me, you're always going to break it down into two pillars. You're going to break it down into what you're going to market, but how you're going to market it. Because those two things are wildly different. So many uh, brands get confused between the what and the how. So they'll send loads of content. Here's all our white papers. Here's all our images. Go for it. And what partners are missing and what partners want to hear is where are you being successful? What channels are you using that are working particularly well? We market to these types of end users. What are you seeing within the market to access those end users effectively? Direct mail versus LinkedIn advertising are two wildly different approaches. And your content may work better for some than others. And breaking down that approach to, uh, to experienced marketeers is going really uh, to stand you in a really good position. So there are two pillars you want to focus on for your external marketing plan. One is the what are you going to market? And that's going to very much be built into your marketing plan. That's going to include the types of content, the case studies that you have, the images that you're going to use. But also what's very often missed by brands is the how are you going to market? Partners want to understand what vehicles and what channels should they be marketing in? Because some of your content may work better for some channels than others. Direct marketing, emails versus LinkedIn content is never going to work the same way. And partners need to know that information so they can maximize effectiveness. Yeah, I agree there. I, I think that's also what we hear time and time again from the partners. They have lack of resources, they have lack of time. So you really need to make it as easy as possible for them and show them how it's done. Like not just give them the content, but also need like, hey, this content works best on LinkedIn and you can best use this type of segmentation maybe for your paid advertising etc if they get um, uh, market development funds and stuff like that like the more tangible you can make it for the partner in the how the better it is so i think that what piece is really where you have like that better together story and you work on it together but then in the how i think it's good as a vendor to take the lead very much as well and really show them like hey this is how other partners have been successful for before you Yeah, and partners are never marketing all of their brands at the same time. So you may only have a small window to get this right because the lack of resources that you're touching upon is absolutely true. And so they are going to market what they are marketing most effectively, what's generating the most results. So you want to make sure when they're marketing your solutions that it's as effectively as possible. And that's also teaching them how to market your brand well. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's an excellent one. It, it makes me think immediately of another thing that's very important in that marketing enablement piece. It's around the language as well. So let's say you have a partner in France, then it's so crucial to do either of one of those two things, of these two things. Either you give them the content fully in French that they can just literally copy, they can utilize it, maybe draft it a little bit different, but then publish it to their end users 
or you give them MDF to do the translation themselves. Because I can really tell you one thing for our listeners, like if you just give English content to no matter what, like a non-English speaking country, they are never going to share it like on their socials, in their newsletter, on their website, etc. So you either facilitate them completely or you make a reservation with some budget that they can do the translation and the work themselves. But usually that takes a bit longer. We get millions of impressions um, uh, at Chanex all the time uh, through the content that we work with our vendors. But it's absolutely clear to see when it's not in local language, the reach diminishes so much. It's always worth putting the extra resource in to either get that content translated ahead of time or within the partner to drive effectiveness. And I, I think another piece, we touched upon it already a little bit in the marketing plan, but within that enablement, personalization is key and really segmentation as well. So get a very clear understanding of your partners. We already touched upon that in the second episode around onboarding within this series. Know exactly what verticals are they focusing on? What language do they communicate in with their end users? What type of product categories do they actually sell from your full product suite? And then only provide them with the assets within the segmentation that fits them. Because then you'll see that utilization will become a lot higher and you can go to market much quicker as well. Yeah, we see this in BDR activity all the time. Even a small amount of personalization massively improves conversion. And so you want to be do that based on end user segmentation, verticalization, so that if you're marketing to finance, you're talking about finance. Yeah, 100%. And I think like after this, what's also very important to get your partners completely engaged in your marketing enablement is constantly showing them how other partners have been successful with that as well. And also in terms of when we're talking about the how, really show them, for example, with this LinkedIn campaign, this partner has achieved X and you don't literally have to name the partner because that's oftentimes a bit sensitive information, of course. But I think that's a crucial one. Or with this webinar, this is the traction that we've seen with this newsletter, etc., because that's for the partners very interesting to understand because they have to decide again, like, am I going to put resources in this activity or not? And the better you show them why this enablement is relevant for them and is worthwhile in terms of ROI, the higher the engagement you will see there. Yeah, and what I love about that is you're encouraging the partners to do reporting on what they're doing, right? Which allows you to improve marketing effectiveness over time. What you want to be doing is using all of your partners to market in maybe slightly different ways because what you're effectively doing, A-B testing at a channel-wide level, that's going to rapidly improve the way you're able to market over time, driving effectiveness and ultimately driving up revenue. Yeah, 100%. And now I'm thinking about it, of course, one of the things that's also crucial there is is tooling to make that their life easier. Because that's still for a lot of partners, even though like I've had a marketing agency four years before we started Chenext actually. And there we were actually responsible for that marketing enablement of the partners. So every time with new product launches or important events, et cetera, that they were actually utilizing it. And there you could really see, like, even if you had it in their own language, even if you had it and you uploaded it in in the portal where they could get it and utilize it, still they were so, like, into the day-to-day business that oftentimes it took a lot of follow-up and a lot of uh, uh, actions, actually, to get it live and to make sure you had the marketing message out there. So I think that's also an interesting, maybe you can touch upon that a little bit, like what type of tooling is there available as well in terms of how to deliver that content for your partners almost that you really make their life easier. Yeah, the number one reason why partners don't market isn't because of content, it's because of resource, right? It's the lack of resources within the partners. They've got lots of 
content to deliver across lots of partners. There's just lots of things to do. And so in my mind, one of the best investments you can make as a brand is in automation. And that we are obviously very biased here at Chanix. We think our automation is the best, but being able to automate partner marketing down one massively improves the the volume of marketing done by all of your partners in terms of campaign participation, but it's going to drive efficacy. But the one I really love is going to drive bias, right? Because if the partner's marketing your content all the time, they are more likely to position your content in a channel push environment, as well as generate end user pull, ultimately driving up revenue in both pillars. Yeah, it's because they actually literally see you like every week on their timeline, the salespeople who are also connected, they see you coming back and back. And like, it's not just the end user indeed that sees your content, but it's also in terms of the internal marketing we were talking about. It's like continuous triggering of like, hey, we see this brand again. We see this brand again. Oh, they have a nice new ebook that's very relevant for my end user. Or there's a nice blog that I can actually read myself and use that again in our better together story. And I think that's where you really get like a a cycle that you want to get going in terms indeed of end user pool and channel push. Yeah, I was talking to one of uh, our partners the other day and uh, they actually did outreach to one of their end users because the end user had liked one of the posts about a brand. And suddenly even that was uh, driving proactive sales motion because he thought, oh, well, I might as well call because now I've got a sales trigger to now go and have a conversation. And imagine you're doing that through a thousand partners with a thousand uh, with uh, you know 10 sales people at each partner suddenly you're really driving huge volumes at scale and you can only do that with automation obviously the benefit of the channel is having that hyperscale but you can only turn that hyperscale on by investing in the right tooling and that's my big advice for brands out there if you're going to take co-marketing seriously and you really should you have to invest in the tooling to make it work yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board there. I think one of the last pieces I would like to give and maybe chat a little bit for a couple more minutes uh, about together is very important. I think once you are like in that onboarding phase, in the co-market, doing the co-marketing together, is announcing the partnership with a big bang. Because I think that's what I see and which is such a pity. Like if time and time again, you are really working together, you're building that joint value proposition, you have a nice plan but then you don't announce it like in a big way to the end user. That's like a missed opportunity, right? Because that's what can really kickstart you towards that first revenue and get the revenue and engagement engine rolling where you keep the partner involved as well. Yeah, we we do a lot of social selling here at Chanext and we know it's not all of the posts that are equally valuable. It's the one or two posts that go really big. They drive the outsized return and you've got an opportunity to make a splash. So don't think, oh, we'll just do a bit of content and then maybe three months later. No, make as much noise as you can in a really short period of time because it's much more likely that the end user is going to think, oh, I've seen four posts about this. I've also got a direct mail and I got a webinar invitation. Okay, well, I'll see what all the fuss is about. It's much better to condense your marketing window down into a really short time period, but make as much noise as possible. Yeah, 100%. Consistency is key there. I I think that's really the thing indeed, and that's definitely in that onboarding phase. We've been talking about it a lot now. You want that first revenue. The more traction you can drive there, the better it is for the partner and eventually for you as well. And I, I think maybe what are like some examples of things you can do, like when you are in the big announcement, let's say indeed you, you've like drafted the timeline and it ends with two weeks, you and the partner were like, okay, they were all out on bringing our joint value proposition to market. What are some things that you can do? Uh, yeah, for me, I love to work towards a webinar and I almost build my sale, my marketing and sales approach to that webinar so that we can 
sort of speak to as many end users at the same time as possible. And so you want to do a website announcement. You want to cover it all over your uh, social medias, including your salespeople's social media. So they've got lots of stuff to like and share. And you're working towards that point, direct email campaign, maybe even marketing, direct marketing on LinkedIn. So you're driving people towards that webinar attendance. And again, if you can get a whole bunch of end users that you've got one sales motion to start, trigger some interest and get demo requests in for the product, to me, that's what you're really striving towards make happen. And if you think about it from a sales effectiveness perspective, would you rather have one opportunity, you know, a quarter or have all of your year's opportunities immediately? Well, you want to narrow that window because that's going to drive the engagement within the partner create as many opportunities as you can as quickly as possible. You want to front load that because then you can really drive engagement from that point onwards. Yeah, and it's also really going to like the warmest network of your partners because that's indeed what I sometimes see. Like immediately partners can start advertising and stuff like that, but then you're going to a cold network. Well, indeed, if you utilize, I, I really like the webinar idea because there indeed you can actually use all the channels building towards an event which is the webinar. And that's like the moment after which all the salespeople can start following up people who were at the webinar who registered, etc. But there you really see the need like start with the actual customer base that they actually already have. So make sure that you do a very good email towards those where you actually announce it indeed properly. Do it on the website, make sure on the socials of the company profile of the channel partner, but also all the salespeople of the channel partner. I, I like what you said, that you said also your own salespeople as a vendor, because that can create a lot of traction as well. Make sure that you engage with everything that is launched and really build that up towards that event, launch it with a big bang and see where you can already get your first opportunities to get your partners to that first revenue. Yeah, we're going to touch on it very much in the next episode. But what's great about that is it triggers the co-selling motion because you're going to bring the the partner will bring the brand, one of the salespeople, a channel account manager or an end user account manager at the vendor onto that webinar, who's obviously very successful at selling that product and that brand. And it becomes this co-sales motion. And that almost becomes the handover point between co-marketing to co-selling. Yeah, I love that. I'm uh, looking forward to the next episode already. I think for today, we discussed the co-marketing piece within bridging the partner recruit to revenue gap. Very important that you create a very strong marketing plan. Then focus on how do you enable your partners to do marketing properly. And then also never forget to really announce it with a big bang and really focus in a short timeline there. Thanks again for sharing your thoughts, uh, Alex. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. And uh, see you all next week. <music>